This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Austin Real Estate Investing. This is Jordan Moorhead, and today we've got Yubi on. Yubi's going to tell us all about his experience in Austin Real Estate Investing, and he's going to share his depth of knowledge that he's got going there. How are you doing, Yubi? Good, good. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming. Really appreciate you jumping on here with me, just taking a few minutes to talk. Um, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got involved in real estate investing, Yubi? Sure, sure. So I have been in the U.S. about the last 14 years now. I grew up in India, in Bombay specifically. Nice. So I uh, got all my education there and uh, did my degree in engineering. Um, like many, many Indian students or good students who wish to come to America, I applied to a bunch of universities and got an admission in Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas A&M was kind enough to sponsor my education, so that was my choice, and that's how I landed up in College Station, Texas. And, um, you know, coming from Bombay, India, and landing in College Station, Texas, <laughs> that, was a, that was a big, big culture change to, to, uh, to adjust to, but uh, all's well that ends well. Since then, I've been here. Um, so I got my degree. I had no plans, absolutely, to be in real estate ever. I am from a technology background. I'm an engineer. Uh, met my wife there. We started dating, then got married. Um, so since then, I've been, uh, and I got my first job with Dell Technologies. Um, and I still work there, right? So I still work there full time. And investing has just kind of happened to me on the side. So I continue doing it. Um, but yeah, that's that's the story of me coming to USA. and. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into real estate, but um, just after doing a corporate job for maybe two years, three years, you know, you was looking for, you know, okay, where to invest my money, how to grow my portfolio, things like that. And believe it or not, it was really, I mean, this is what, 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. where everyone was terrified of real estate, right? I didn't even understand the, the US economy back then. Like I just got a job and took the first job that I got and just started doing it. So there was really no plan to be in real estate. Um, but I was always a TV buff. So I used to watch a lot of HGTV. I mean, it sounds cliche, but I, I watched a lot of HGTV and it seemed like, okay, if you have some hustle and if you have some common sense, you can you can try your hand at this. Um, so my my first deal was really, we saved up some money, me and my wife both. And we decided to, um, we decided to buy something, but we wanted to look for a deal, right? And like most Indian folks are, we are deal hunters. We are, you know, bargain hunters. And and you kind of get that way if you grow up in, in a frugal, you know, middle-class home environment, right? And both me and my wife are that way. Most Indians that you will see in the US are that way. So we started deal hunting, started contacting realtors, you know, how to find a deal and things like that. That time I wasn't even sure about investing my money in Texas because, you know, you would 
look at Texas cities and, and you know, the appreciation on properties would be what 1%, 2% every year. And you look everywhere and, you know, you see foreclosures and you see the whole real estate market tanking. So that was certainly a risky time. Um, very, you know, a lot of people were wary of, of going into real estate at that time. And I don't know what crossed our mind, but we, we bought the biggest fixer upper that <laughs> one could imagine. Uh, it was a hard property. You know, our, one of our realtor friends sent it to us and it was a hard property. And uh, it was priced at maybe like 90 or 100K or something like that. And we said, okay, you know, let's just lowball and see if we get it. And we lowballed and to our surprise, we got it. And, wow. and we, we lowballed like 70,000 or something, right? It was oh, a wow. small home. That's huge. Round rock. Yeah. Um, and, but it had a bunch of things to do, right? Um, but what the, what we didn't know back then is the reason we got approved is because we bought, we, we were first time home buyers mm -hmm. and there were, there are obviously, you know, you, you're given a preference if you are a first time home buyer over investors who are buying their fourth, fifth, sixth property, et cetera. So, uh, we got approved for that property. We got a bit of financing, had no idea how to underwrite a loan back then. So went through like two months of documentation hell with wow. a bunch of lenders and, and getting lending at that time was very difficult, right? We barely had money for the down payment there. Um, and we had saved up some cash that we were going to do. We were going to use to um, remodel that home. But at that point, we were not even sure whether it's an investment or, you know, we'll just live there. That's what we thought because we were renting. So, but that home had everything like the AC needed to be replaced. The roof was about to go. It had foundation issues. The flooring had to be redone. There were walls that needed to be taken out. It was like this closed old fashioned uh, 1980s home and things like that. So that was a one and a half year journey after that, right? Like going from one bad contractor to the other, taking foundation bids, you know, the project stalled three, four times in the middle and, you know, me hunting down different contractors and them running away with my money and all sorts of horror uh, mistakes on that property in the middle of this whole global, pan global uh, you know, economic meltdown. Mm -hmm. So it took me about 12 to 13 months to fix that property up. But everything, right? We did the whole foundation, flooring, fence, backyard, patio, a whole thing we redid. And it took 12 to 15 months. It was exhausting, but it took all our fears out of dealing mm -hmm. with contractors, of dealing with foundation issues, of, of going to Home Depot. And, I, you know, honestly, the construction in the US and the construction in India is so different. I had never seen houses made out of wood. Yeah, I've heard that growing too. up. Right? Yeah. Like, I didn't know what drywall is. And, and honestly, it still baffles me to, to this day that how do these these wood wood houses stand <laughs> you know why don't they just blow away in the wind because all the construction you see in india is either concrete or it's a shanty town just plastic and things like that right or mm -hmm. that that's a different but um, yeah so i i always just understood concrete and all but figured out everything from you know what soffit means to what laminate means to what drywall means learned all of that on that project and by the time it was ready, we realized that this is not a neighborhood that we would like to live long-term in. 
Mm-hmm. By then we had, you know, done well in our careers, promoted things like that. So we decided to just keep it as a rental. Uh, we also took advantage of, um, you know, I think Obama at that time had like this first time home buyer credit to, yeah. um, you know, to, to stimulate the, the real estate market again. So we took advantage of that uh, for a little bit. Um, but eventually after it was ready and all, we didn't want to move in. Um, so we rented it out. Uh, and then it was pretty stable for about two years. We just used that as a rental. Um, and again, we were not good landlords back then. There were no systems of collecting rent online or screening tenants properly, uh, properly and um, all of that. So went through hiccups with them, the tenants complaining about small things and holding back rent. I didn't even know what an eviction is or how easily you could evict someone in Texas, right? I had no clue. So uh, made a lot of those mistakes with the tenants and figured out what leases should look like, what eviction looks like, and what 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 uh, powers the landlord has, or or what are the tenants' rights and things like that. So learned that over two years. Had some bad tenants, had some good tenants, but uh, in the end, it worked out well. Uh, then we decided to like, okay, let's sell this. By the time the the market had started to turn around a little bit, this was maybe 2011, 2012 back then, market had started to turn around. And we were like, you know what? This is an old house. We did the cosmetics of it, but we didn't really change the bones of it. So we were afraid that the, the AC will go out again or the roof will go out again or will lead to a bunch of CapEx. Again, it was more fear than anything else mm-hmm. um, and decided to sell it. And we sold it for maybe 140 or something like that at the time, wow. right? We had put in 30 grand of our own money. So yeah. we were over 100. But, but after all these mistakes and after so many headaches where like with zero knowledge, we still made a good 30, 35 grand. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I mean, if if everything that could go wrong went wrong on this deal and I still, you know, came out ahead, then real estate is not that bad. Plus, it also helps with, you know, along the way, you start learning about the tax benefit real estate provides mm-hmm. and things like that. So that was an education in itself. Um, but we cashed out of that property. Um, honestly, had I held it and I could have easily held it, that would have been way about 200 at this point. Oh man, uh, yeah. Because it was around Rock Home and you know, the suburbs have also done just as pretty well, right? Compared to Austin yeah. also. So um, then we were like, okay, how do we search for the next round of, you know, investments? Like where do we now put this money in? And by along the way, we had started studying, you know, uh, my wife's a big reader. So she recommended read, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, I read cash flow quadrant and things like oh. that. And then then we could trace back to like, you know, all the people who were doing well in India were property owners in one way or the other. And and she was like, yeah, I, I mean, I used to always wonder all my rich uncles did or, you know, I used to think about my extended family, people who were doing well. It's like they always had property, right? And so that kind of brought us closer and closer to real estate the whole stock market had also tanked by then, right? And everyone had lost faith in their 401ks and how these companies can be overvalued, undervalued, etc. So we started peeling away from putting our money in the stock market to more real estate. And again, um, 
thinking about you know uh, how to find a deal so we started looking into tax foreclosures and things like that so then we studied up on foreclosures and started buying foreclosures but that was my journey and my first deal um, which kind of got us into real estate and a lot of the other education followed so that's awesome so um, what do you what do you invest in right now so what are you guys buying or have you bought over the past few years you talk about this is back in 08 we bought a house for 70,000 in round rock i don't think i've seen a house for 70,000 in round rock <laughs> in a really long time right 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 no so um yeah after these this about two to three year time frame of doing the first deal right which i now regret it took that it took me that long had i picked up 15 other properties at that time i would have been retired right but um, you know we started educating ourselves about um, one thing about tax benefits the other thing about foreclosures because mm-hmm. we didn't believe in just buying off the market that much because at that time you couldn't bank on the appreciation as you can since maybe 2015 in austin right you can just buy off the market people are buying above market and still coming out ahead so austin wasn't that in in 2010 11 12 right so mm-hmm. we didn't want to bank on appreciation so we were like how do we buy things under market and that's where the tax foreclosures and regular foreclosures um we started studying up on them uh, through bigger pockets and just uh, googling websites and such so um our next deal was, then was a tax foreclosure so we bought some land out in taylor back then oh. again it was like you know let's throw some money at it we'll we'll get some education out of it mm-hmm. um it was a piece of land where you would you know i'd bring your mobile home and just live there we rented it out we got a few tenants and it worked out fine there so but more than that it was around being in that space where the, where the tax foreclosures happen at the county courthouse steps and we started wondering oh there's something going on under there as well and then we saw you know auction.com and the local county trustees and all of that and how they come and auction off properties started studying up uh, on that um and then over time just started saving up and buying uh, foreclosure so our portfolio right now is about 15 to 16 single family homes oh, um, nice. and the bulk of that is all foreclosures um, in and around austin a couple of deals through wholesalers um, but then every year we we planned on buying maybe one to two uh, fixing them up renting them out and holding them for the long term so that's the portfolio as it uh, stands right now nice so you're all buy and hold long term for the most part yes yes Awesome. And and mostly in Austin, in or around Austin, you said. Yes, so a um, couple of years ago I did try to venture out, so I have a multifamily property that I've invested in in Waco. Um oh. and the Waco market also people say good things about it. It has the jobs, it has the student population. Um so I have some good hopes there, but that was my effort to kind of diversify and try out multifamily as well. So that that's another part of the portfolio. But yeah, the bread and butter is single family buying foreclosures in and around Austin, and I mean Austin was never a difficult decision, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Even when we were we came to Austin, Austin was not as big as it is today, um, but it was getting there, you know. By 2012, you were seeing Austin creeping up on all those lists of you yeah. know tech startups and people wanting to move, and you no. Know, 
at that time anyone that would i would talk to no one talked about moving out of austin mm-hmm. they were all talking about everything is perfect even today i mean it's a big city about maybe 2 million population right and and still growing yeah. but you could still go out in your car on a friday night get a decent parking spot have a have a nice dinner and not deal with the you know new york city or la kind of traffic and crowds and still come back home and enjoy your big home right so um uh, austin seemed a no brainer because things just check the box pretty easily right i mean you want live music that's here you want mm-hmm. restaurants it's here you want good schools you want low taxes you want to start a business all of that texas in general provides uh, a lot of benefits to landlords business owners etc right so um and then austin has that vibe in it right the young vibe yeah. the educated the te- the tech hub that it's become today it was only a semiconductor hub you know 10 years ago mm-hmm. but now it's the tech hub it's a startup hub you know you hear all these big companies um so we just continued to bank uh, in in austin there's just part of real estate that is you know once you can see and visit your properties it just it's just much easier to control much easier to manage uh long distance is a whole other game right so um we never ventured that much outside of the state yet what is your multifamily property you're speaking of in waco so that is um that is kind of like the first deal that i i did in single family right so i i went into it wanting to learn wanting to explore mm-hmm. pretty much all by myself right and it's uh, it's a 16 unit c class property nice uh, right on 35 um so it has 14 studios and a duplex it's an old construction um and uh, it's a c class property so there are challenges that a c class property comes you know the old construction the clientele churn that you go through things like that so i am slowly overhauling that property unit by unit and kind of bringing it up in value um but um again it i i knew going into that deal that i'm mainly going in for the hardships and the education and the connections that i would build along the way uh, and to figure out multifamily right uh, so it's not obviously it's not my best deal so far yeah. uh, it's somewhere in the middle uh but multifamily is a journey of its own i i think single family and multifamily are very different multifamily is more of a team sport right um and it's more of a f- it's more of a full time engagement as well i would say uh everything from raising money to fixing up properties quickly to you know repositioning from class c to class b or whatever that may be uh is a lot more work than single families right so given that i still have my job i still love my job we both are engineers we like doing it um haven't been able to put in that much time um into that property so it's a slow burn um yeah. but um you know you learn everything you learn something new from every deal right so yeah no that's that's awesome so you know you talked about just the rapid growth austin seeing and you know because of that the massive appreciation we're seeing i just saw us is number 1 on a list for desirable tech hubs above yeah. San Francisco and San Jose and all those areas. <laughs> really? Um but you know that's the cool thing about Central Texas is you can really pick what you want to do. So, you know, if right. you want a large multifamily, the barrier to entry in Austin is kind of high. But right. if you're looking to buy something just up the street, you know, in right. Rico or Killeen or right. 
in between here and San Antonio, you can absolutely do that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and you can pick and choose what you do. So you bought all of these single families in Austin, which are probably all appreciating like crazy. Right. And, no, know, th- those have been the, those kind of got lucky, right? I mean, just being in Austin mm-hmm. um, and, and anything that, you know, we invest in, you have to first, I tend to reflect, like even if I'm buying a company stock or something, like would I use this product? Would I do this or use this service or would I live here mm-hmm. from a market standpoint? And Austin always the answer came back as yes, right? So, um, but yeah, I've got, got a lot lucky, you know, had we been in some other city and, and invested there. I don't think all the cities around the country have seen um, as much appreciation. Maybe two or three are similar, but uh, not as much, right? So, uh, no, got lucky there, I would say. Yeah, no, I think absolutely. And, and you made the choice to keep going in this market too, when you clearly have a good handle on things and could have said, hey, I'm going to actually buy, you know, up in Colleen or all in Waco and the prices of those single families probably would have been less, but you already knew what you were doing. And you said, hey, I'm going to buy here because I want to live here and other people are going to also. And, and part of it is, I think the reason I was able to continue buying in Austin all the way through till 2019, even this year bought a couple of properties mm-hmm. is because we figured out a way to buy under market through foreclosures. And that, you know, if you're constantly going into bidding wars, if you're constantly being outbid, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into analyzing deals or visiting properties. Um, and if you're not being able to acquire them on time, um, the ROI just starts going down, right? And uh, and you don't build equity. You have to bank on appreciation for uh, equity to be built or wait for a longer term until your tenants can pay, pay down your mortgages. Um, so I, I think the reason was us being able to figure out the foreclosure market and carving out a niche within there that this is the type of homes when they come out on foreclosure sales is what we like to buy. And once we did that and then, you know, kind of follow the same buy, rent, rehab, refinance strategy, we've been able to multiply the portfolio. Um, but yeah, you know, Burr wasn't even a thing when when we started. So it's a coin term and everyone knows about it now. So. I, honestly, I, when I talk to my friends back in India and I tell them that, you know, you could buy a property, you could rehab it, rent it out, refinance, take the money out and invest somewhere else, their mind is just blown, right? <laughs> They're like, there is no financial product like this in India and why isn't there something like this, right? Or if there is, very few people know about it over there. So, mm-hmm. um, no, that's a fantastic way. I, I think it's a foolproof way to build wealth long term. and. Uh, that's what has worked for us so far. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something important there is it is a long game, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's not a get rich quick game. You're not going to get rich in a few years, but if you consistently buy property in Austin over a 10 year period, right. You're going to do really well. And I think that's right. a, a great point that, Hey, it's a consistent way to build wealth long-term, you know, and, right. and you're talking about buying properties under market value that sound like they probably need some work in most cases, and improving them and making the value higher anyway. And then it just depreciates on top of that. And that's, it's a great strategy. Right. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me, if you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, 
That would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. So yeah, I think uh, a lot of people struggle with that first deal, right? And not just the first deal, but saving up up to the first deal. Yeah. And I would say that just goes back to having your, you know, being frugal. When even when you start earning, or if you have a stream or two of income. Uh, just being disciplined enough to save at least that much that you can buy your first deal. Um, obviously, a lot of people talk about doing things with other people's money, or you know, you hear crazy stories of you know, took four loans on a, and and got a deal, or uh, did hard money lending and maxed out all the credit cards. All that does sound cool, but if it goes south, you know, that person will never be on that podcast, right? So, uh, right, and and. That must be happening. So um, I think a much safer way for a lot of people is to practice some frugality and, you know, save 30, 40, 50% of their income, you know, do that for two to three years and and then save up that much so that you can go into your first deal and going strong with a CapEx budget, going strong with a contingency fund so that you would come out ahead no matter what. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, you know, and, and there's a reason why I live so frugally too. So I'm recording this from our uh, our duplex in East Austin. Right. You know, I have a tenant next door that pays a majority of the mortgage. So right. I, I don't have to do that, but I want to do that because I want to be able to save, like you said, 50% or right. more of my income. Absolutely. And no, more power. I mean, that's, that's the way, right? I mean, it's not about instant gratification with real estate. Um, I don't know who said it. Um, it was maybe Gary Keller or someone, right? Like, uh, don't buy, don't wait to buy real estate. Just buy real estate and and wait. You know, so it's yeah. a long game, and and you just need some financial discipline. So, absolutely. And if you can hold on to that discipline for for quite a while, you know, multiple years, that really just compounds and compounds on top of each other. Right. So you know. What's one thing you think newer investors should know besides getting your finances in order? And I completely agree with that. I think if you want to invest in real estate and you can't save any money, it's not the thing for you to start right now. But what would you tell a newer investor that that has their finances in order and is looking to get into real estate investing? Yeah, so for new investors, um, you know, obviously there are some basics that go without saying like, you know, network and make sure you have your realtor connections, you know, all your basic education in terms of what are wholesaling, what a title company does, uh, you know, um, how how underwriting happens. So there are tons of books and resources out there. So I would say definitely get the basics basics figured out uh, Mm -hmm. before you jump in. Because you don't want to be surprised when you see a closing disclosure, right? And, and you don't want to know, like, oh, oh, I don't understand all these line items. I planned on 5000 and closing costs. Why is it 15000 right? So, uh, you know, there are some things that you want to uh, educate yourself on, right? Um, and the other piece is then deciding the, the kind of properties. Even within single families, there are quite a few types, right? Uh, even if you look at the... Uh, the four anything under four units is kind of almost considered as a single family unit, right? From a financing standpoint, mm-hmm. what is that area that you feel comfortable with, right? So, do you do you want to do a complete um, cut and renovate? Like I did that on my first deal, but I soon realized that no, I don't want to spend six, eight, nine months 
remodeling the same property and and working out every detail and things like that. So by then I realized that, okay, if it's a standard three, two configuration, I can do paint carpet and, and, you know, fixtures and faucets real quick, just put in new appliances, do something very cosmetic. It takes the least of my time and, and I still get the, um, the ROI, right? So depending on how much time you are willing to invest into real estate, I think if you're full time in it, definitely go all in and, and try the more complex deals, but decide which area you want to focus on, whether it's house hacking, whether it's um, duplexes and fourplexes, whether it's flipping, doing three flips and then getting a rental yeah. um, or just holding something off the market. Like few of my friends have bought stuff off the market and they are still just, I mean, they are pretty happy with their investments because, you know, the market's appreciating and they have good tenants good long-term tenants in there. So, um, the, the thing we cannot generate is time. So based on how much time you're going to invest in real estate, decide what kind of real estate suits you best. Right. And that's why what I'm learning now is probably multifamily is not for me for the long term because it does require a team and bunch of meetings and, and, you know, different forces to come together to make it successful quickly. Right. Um, so just deciding what is best for you, um, I, I would say is a good next step. And obviously then the, the saving portion, right? We talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's great advice. And it's easy to listen to podcasts and say, hey, well, I heard that mobile home parks are awesome. Or I heard that apartment syndication is awesome. Or maybe I should flip houses or do condos and you know, figure out what you want to do and what you're comfortable with first. You know, And, right. and maybe that is house hacking a duplex. Maybe it's starting with a single family house, but right. I think just as important as getting started is figuring out what you're going to focus on and staying in it. Because if you're all over the place all the time, right. You're never and especially anywhere. all these things, you know, that the live-in renovations or, uh, you know, the house hacking or mm-hmm. living in a mobile home park and figuring it out. Great hustles, right? Absolutely. And they are going to pay off, but you also have to balance that against your life and where you are in there, right? If you're starting at 35, maybe with, and you have two kids, you know, you don't want a house hack or maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, living in a mobile home park is not an option to figure out that business. So, um, you know, the hustles can be very different if you are like 18 and have very little responsibility. Uh, 18 or 21 or something like that versus if you already have a job or if you have someone in your family that you're taking care of or if you have kids and you need to live in a certain school district right so uh, a lot of these success stories can be very tempting um, but it's not all you know roses right so um, we, we we tend to not talk about failures as much where the most of the learnings are right we, we talk about oh this guy got 50 doors in five years and but they won't talk about those 50 doors are with 50 partners right mm-hmm. so it's it's it shouldn't be all about the numbers and and the glam of it right so that's something to be aware of right it's a slow game it's like the tortoise and the hare you know you're the tortoise and you're mm-hmm. in the race but it will it will just take some time yeah you know even in austin if you buy three single family houses and that's all you ever bought and they appreciate it and pay themselves down over 30 years, you'd be in a great spot in 30 years. Right. You know, right. there's nothing wrong with doing that. You don't have to be buying a hundred unit mobile home parks or 50 units of single families. You know, 
if, if you wholly owned just a small portion of real estate, it's not a bad place to be. Um, so, you know, you talked about this deal you did in the beginning where you ended up having to do anything. Um, and it sounds like that worked out well for you in the long run, but is there any advice you'd have for people on how to avoid pitfalls in rehabs or when looking at a possible deal? So, um, yeah, I, I think uh, when looking at deals, um, you know, firstly, never trust the numbers that are in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. You have to do your own due diligence. If you get a deal from a wholesaler, uh, assuming you are in touch with a few, right? So, um, you know, don't trust their ARVs. If you're looking at multifamilies, if you see rents reported at 100%, don't trust those numbers. Um, always go with, you know, I, I, you know, people, people do things like, oh, put in 5% vacancy and figure, you know, get in your numbers. But 5% can sometimes be a small number, but you have, sometimes when you have a tenant and you have vacancy, you have it for the full month, right? So 5% sometimes doesn't cover the full month. And, yeah. and, you know, sometimes it's even two months, right? So when I price out properties or I do contingency planning, um, you know, number one, can I pay this out of my pocket for three to six months? I mean, COVID happened, right? No one, no one had planned for that. And thankfully, things have, uh, you know, things have continued fairly smoothly, but uh, you have to be prepared to pay, uh, pay your property out of your own pocket for three to six months at least. So have that contingency fund. Mm -hmm. Don't trust that you would have a tenant for the full year. Um, and then the other part is contractors, right? We, we have to be very, very careful about always getting multiple bids. And, and, you know, people talk about, and this is something I hear on podcasts a lot, right? Oh, I have built relationships with this person and I trust them and I just go with them. But the truth of the industry is the people are never stagnant. They're not always contractors. People tend to grow and change and move and things like that. So it's very it's a constant process to keep looking for good people. You know, you cannot just say, oh, my team is done and I'm set for five years uh, because someone who's a painter today might be a general contractor tomorrow, might become an investor tomorrow and he would not want to do deals with you or his prices become too expensive for you. So you have to get into this practice of always looking for uh, the good people or the up and coming people who will give you the best prices and still do your deal uh, and make that a habit and a practice. Even if you have trusted people, I still get two quotes or sometimes three quotes, mm -hmm. right? For, on everything, right? Not uh, not just your your rehab jobs, but even things like insurances, right? Uh, insurance prices are are off the roof across the country, right? Not yeah. just because of um, claims, but you know, climate change, fires, name it, right? Habitational insurances are off the roof mm -hmm. uh, everywhere, and if you put it, put things in an escrow account and forget it, um, you won't even realize that your portfolio is bleeding there, right? So uh, looking at those things and always getting a couple of quotes, even if you have trusted relationships, I think it's pretty important. Uh, and then over time, you kind of get better at finding the right people that uh, you can work with repeatedly. Yeah, and you can almost be guaranteed if you find a good contractor and they're affordable, they're gonna get more expensive. So, right, you know, exactly. Absolutely, you always need to be looking for. I mean, I can just tell you without naming any names, the person who did 
my first deal for me right he he did an awesome job for me like he he did the whole house he did the flooring he did a bunch of extra stuff for me amazing guy right i had a great experience with him great price but again the the economy was different his demand was different his company was different today if i see obviously uh, you know he has this big website he's a big company he has a bunch of project managers yeah, and good for I, him. I cannot afford him on my next project. Good for him. You know, yeah. I would still call him and congratulate him or, you know, be a reference for him. But, uh, you know, it's an ongoing process, right? It's not the yeah. same contractor, the same title company, the same insurance agent that you can always work with. It's about 12 to 18 months, you see an overhaul in your team. And that's why you have to keep looking and keep getting better at looking and finding them. Yeah, I'll write down the names of handyman that I see at Home Depot or cards on boards or just vans, you know, numbers on the yeah. van. You always have to keep looking for that. Yep. So yep. that's great Absolutely. advice. So, you know, speaking, you've got some good, good advice about staying frugal, about, you know, always evolving and looking for new people. What would you say your best mindset advice to get started in real estate investing would be? And it could be about some of the frugality things we've talked about and just what how do you keep a good mindset and keep going because you guys have been doing this for a long time yeah i think a lot of it is is kind of getting over the fear and you know the first times usually the worst right yeah. when you are at the thanksgiving dinner table and you get that phone call that something is broken and and you know your whole apartment is flooded or um I would just say keeping a calm head on your shoulders, right? Because things are going to break all the time, right? But as long as you have the contingency and the processes to address that, I mean, I've had situations where I'm about to board on a plane and I got, hey, we had these cleaning ladies go out to your property and it's fully flooded. What are you going to do, right? So, uh, I mean, those are inevitable with real estate, but as long as you have insurance, as long as you have a backup plan with someone who can back you up while uh, while you are out or traveling or with family and things like that, um, it's a fix-up. Everything is fixable, right? The first time seems the worst, but the next time you'll just know better. So uh, don't get disheartened if your first deal or your first uh, project has some hiccups. I mean, the reason where you can make money in real estate is because a lot of people don't want to deal with these hiccups and there is yeah. no, um, you know, there's no substitute, right? Wherever you want to be successful or make money, there are going to be some headaches that you have to deal with. Yeah, it's just about whether you want to deal with headaches in your control or someone else's control mm-hmm. and respond to either, right? So just being calm when there are fires, just being calm when there are floods, just being calm where... Uh, you know, there'd be situations like tenants getting a divorce and the husband and wife both blaming each other that you paid the rent or who pays the rent. And uh, we've been through all of that, right? So uh, it, it just is more f- fun stories over time. But um, as an investor, because someone is paying down your debt, because you are getting the tax benefit, the government is on your side, right? And yeah. you'll win in the end, right? So don't let that that first flood or first flyer kind of discourage you is what I would say. Yeah. And with new properties too, you're always buying somebody's problems. So oh, yeah. you know, if you yeah. buy a property from somebody 
for a good deal, expect that there's some issues with it. And maybe right. the tenants too, if it's fully occupied and exactly. you bought it, probably issues with the tenants. If it was great, why would I have given it up? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you you said it right. A lot of my friends hate doing any kind of repairs, and you'll find this in in most people coming from India because we never do projects growing up, right? I can tell you this, right? Because um, we always have other people do stuff. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of population in India that you can hire someone to do, and you wouldn't even have to worry about you know how he fixed it or how that got fixed. So. Home projects and home renovations and repairs are really put a lot of people at discomfort, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had so many people just invest in brand new properties because of that. And fine, something won't go wrong for the first two years or three years, but eventually it is going to, right? And yeah. as long as you're not running in the middle of the night to fix the sink, as long as you have someone in there and a fund to pay for that repair, you know, you shouldn't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's not a big deal. I think that's great advice. Is stuff's gonna break as long as you have the number of a good handyman or a good right. plumber or a good electrician. It's it's not a big deal. Hell, anymore you can text these people. You know, yeah. you can text your handyman and say, "Hey, man, can you go over yeah. and fix this?" You don't even have to pick up the phone. Exactly. These days, I mean, communication and the number of online portals that can help you source people and even mm-hmm. pre-check their reviews or get referrals never been a better time from a you know what you can do sitting in your office standpoint right and the world is at your doorstep so um yeah just we should just be aware that things might go wrong but there are lots of ways to fix it so yeah it's it's very easy anymore and you don't have to be handy and be able to go do it yourself you can just call somebody or text somebody and they'll go do it for you and like you said there's there's task rabbit there's all these different portals there's thumbtack Thumbtack has been absolutely great for me. I, I use yeah. that all the time. And and the good thing about uh, some of these portals is you can, you know, what I have done over time is developed an eye for the up and coming companies. You know, mm-hmm. who, you know, I, I don't always go for the top company, the top rated company with the, you know, 500 reviews, because I know if I need them to go there today, they will probably not be available. No. And secondly, and if I ask them to go today, probably there'll be a much expensive uh, project for me, right? So, uh, you know, sharpening your eye to find that up and comer, you know, mom and pop person, whether it's a handyman, plumber, painter, whatever that you may need, um, just wanting to build that customer base, wanting to work with you on more projects than the, uh, a single one, uh, hugely, hugely benefits. And I, I you know, Thumbtack up till a certain point, I was like every day on my phone, right? Just going boom, boom, boom. So it's been very helpful. Awesome. So, you know, you mentioned a few books. You mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the Cash Flow Quadrant. Do you have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? Uh, well, to be honest, you know, I'm not much of a reader, but I, I try to make up for it through either Audible or Blinkist. Yeah, Big yeah. fan of Blinkist because it gives me book summaries. I have a kid and another one on the way in the next few months, right? So uh, free time is is more of just a concept for me, right? Yeah. Um, no, but, uh, you know, I think four-hour work week has been fantastic. Uh, I think it just teaches you um, how to outsource low-value mm-hmm. tasks that you can. 
because you can fill your day right very easily oh, yeah. meetings with doing accounting doing tracking capex doing projects uh, tracking all your expenses uh, mm-hmm. as an investor or a landlord there is just a lot of um, lot of sundry tasks that you have to keep doing but you have to figure out a way to like okay i'm not going to do accounting anymore i'm going to hire that out i'm not going to do uh, you know texting with contractors anymore i'm going to hire that out and as you grow you have to even if it's expensive right it will seem expensive in the short term but in the long run it frees up your time to you know better focus on your life better focus on your health and actually do things that you do best and grow your portfolio so some of those things i learned from four hour work week uh, i think that's a fantastic book um mindset wise uh, i i think uh, there is a book from um, Vishen Lakhiani. Uh, and one thing, yeah, one thing, I love the one thing by- Oh, great book, yeah. Yeah, Gary Keller, Jay Papasan. Big fan of Jay Papasan. If you ever get him on your podcast, yeah. uh, you, know, uh, you know, those guys are Austin celebrities, right? So uh, yeah. uh, the one thing, definitely, right? We are always in such a hurry with meetings and projects and everyone trying to do so much that you tend to lose focus of your goals on a day-to-day basis. I mean, I I cannot count on my fingers the amount of years where I set my goals um, uh, in the beginning of the year and just the year unfolded in a way that I never revisited them until the next year, right? So just thinking about what is the one thing very important for me this morning to handle, uh, I think is is pretty valuable so yeah those those books is what i would recommend yeah they actually have a a couple's goal setting retreat this weekend yeah oh this weekend this weekend and then i I believe next weekend so we're we're recording this in november of 2020 they usually do it in the fall the one thing um papazans are doing this with bigger pockets this year actually right right you know, it's, yeah, I heard that, I think, in one of their latest uh, podcasts. But, um, yeah, it's on my list. I would love to be in one of those retreats. Uh, yeah. Some. Hopefully in person again some days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, this must be virtual for sure. Yeah, this so. is virtual, yeah. Well, Yuvi, I really appreciate you coming on. How can people get a hold of you and learn more about you if they want to talk to you? Maybe they have a single-family deal for sale here in Austin. They want to see if you'd like to buy it. Is there a way to reach you? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, LinkedIn is a great way for people who don't already have my email and mm-hmm. yeah, just link, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. And uh, um, I, I'm not too active on bigger pockets. I would like to be, but um, um, uh, it's just the stage of life that I'm in, right? I have yeah. a two-year-old, another one on the way. Uh, all my extra time is, is consumed by them, right? Not to mention wife and I both still have full-time jobs that we we hold and we like and we enjoy, right? So, um, no, I, I think LinkedIn is probably the best way uh, for now. Uh, or Facebook, you know, I'm on all most of the important real estate groups. So if someone's posted there, uh, would would have already caught, caught my eye. That's how we connected, right? Yep. Um, Investor Underground on Facebook. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not on, um, not active on Instagram or TikTok or <laughs> anything, <laughs> the new age uh, social media just yet. So Yeah. We'll see you dancing on TikTok here soon, I'm sure. <laughs> I have been consuming a lot of TikTok this, yeah. this, this pandemic, you know, just had some free time, but uh, no, I don't have the 
I don't want to put that out there on the internet with me dancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, last question here, Yubi. Um, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? Ah, oh, that is, uh, I'd have to go with, I mean, Austin, uh, so I'm a vegetarian, right? So you might get different answers from. Sure. Uh, it's definitely not barbecue, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I really love the tacos in Austin. You cannot beat Central Texas tacos, and Taco Deli is probably my favorite. Yeah, Taco Deli is great. Great breakfast tacos too at Taco yeah, Deli. Yeah, absolutely. It's well, a Austin. weekly affair. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> breakfast tacos or just normal any day tacos? Any day. I mean, I think the good thing in this pandemic is they started staying open longer. So we've been, whenever we pass by that area, you know, pick up from there and just love their donia sauce. I could drink that by the gallons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on here, Yubi. We will put all of Yubi's information in the show notes here. So you'll be able to find him on LinkedIn or Facebook. Um, Look for him in the Investor Underground group on Facebook. and sure you can find him there and and see any of his questions he's asked or any of his answers he's put out there all right cool thank you so much it's great to meet you my pleasure thank you so much jordan have a nice day